Welcome back to Force Material, the series where we explore some of the many stories at the intersection of four key pillars, sport, entertainment, lifestyle and culture. This podcast is brought to you by Force, which is a collection of social and content experiences designed to identify and unlock the areas where those four pillars collide. A collaboration between Leaders in Sport and Sports Business Journal, Force was launched in association with our founding partners Constellation Brands and GMR Marketing. We hosted our first major event experience in New York City in May, and it's set to become an annual fixture. If you'd like to find out more, see how the week unfolded, and understand how you could join us next year, head over to our website, www.4-se.com, that's the number four, not the letter, or check out at Force Events on Twitter, that's 4SE underscore events, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Cameron McDonald, a content producer here at Leaders in Sport, and I'm here to lead you on an extensive exploration on the intersection of esports, gaming, and live streaming. We'll be looking at live streaming platforms with a particular focus on Twitch and its origins and appeal. How has the rise of live streaming changed how games are played, shared, and even made? How has it aided in the professionalization of esports? And how has it created a new kind of influencer and a new kind of athlete? Throughout, we'll be getting the perspectives of four experts in the gaming and esports industry. First is Alexander Inglot, Commissioner of the ESL Pro League. Then we have Stephanie Ajoma, founder and CEO of gaming and entertainment company Naysaga. We also spoke to noted gaming and esports journalist Grant Taylor-Hill and to Christina Skogvard, marketing manager and team lead at esports data provider ABIOS. So let's kick things off. Thank you for tuning in and do enjoy the episode. When many envision a gamer, they imagine people with light-up keyboard and headsets playing shooting games on a video game console for 12 hours straight and shouting at their screen. But the truth is, most people are, or at the very least have been, gamers. If you were around and using computers around the turn of the century, you most likely played a version of The Sims. If you had a smartphone 10 years ago, there's a good chance you played Candy Crush on it. If you've ever played a game on an electronic device, you've been a gamer. I've always said that gaming is quite broad and gaming is so multidimensional, so there's no right or wrong as to what is a gamer or what is gaming. Because there are people who used to game when they were younger, they don't play it anymore, but you know, they dabble into it, they're still a gamer. There's people that play just only mobile games, they're still a gamer. That was Stephanie Ajoma, CEO, founder, and consultant at Naysaga Limited, an award-winning gaming and entertainment company specializing in gaming consultancy, but also working in content creation, events, project management, and talent brokering. And they have a mission to change the gaming industry for the better. Our ethos and our mission is to ensure that there is diversity, inclusion, representation, and equity for black and brown folks like myself, and you know, for all kinds of demographics as well. I think gaming in particular is for everyone, and unfortunately, society and the system don't reflect that. 
So, you know, what you do see, what's marketed out there is people that don't look like myself and many others, whether it's from the black community, the brown community, other ethnic minorities, the LGBTQIA community, you know, people from um, the disabled community. We're not represented enough and it's our mission at Naysaga to ensure that everyone in those spheres that I've mentioned are represented and included. Now, here at Force, sport is the first of our four pillars. The other three are entertainment, lifestyle and culture, and it's easy to see where gaming fits in there. So where does gaming fit in the sport? The connecting factor is esports. But if we're looking in the context of gaming and esports, esports is looked at as a competitive sport, basically. A competitive sport, but in gaming, people who compete to the highest levels in a specific game. If you look at, you know, titles such as like Tekken or Street Fighter, Call of Duty, Overwatch, Counter-Strike, um, League of Legends, those are games where you can play casually or you can play to a high standard. And that is where the Evolve uh, form of gaming has become to esports. So again, to, to round it up, gaming and esports is the same thing. It's just gaming is the parent of everything. And then once you go into the really get the depths of what like different subsections of our gaming you have the esports you have the casual variety gamers you have streamers you have content creators you have people who just focus on gaming documentaries but yeah esports is looked at as a competitive um, side to gaming and we have the perspective of a leader with extensive experience across more traditional sports that has now moved into the esports space enter alexander inglot my name is uh, Alexander Igla. I'm the commissioner of the ESL Pro League, uh, which is one of the leading entities in esports today globally. So I not only oversee the development and delivery of the two seasons of the Pro League, which happens every six months in Malta, uh, kind of behind the product, so to speak, is also I drive the vision, strategy and governance of the unique Louvre Agreement, which is the biggest independent tournament organizer in esports. ESL aligned with 15 of the biggest team orgs, big names such as Complexity, Vitality, Na'Vi, Furia, and we work together on trying to optimize the competitive CSGO calendar and the broader ecosystem. When describing his motivation for moving from traditional sports to its neighboring industry of esports, Alexander detailed the unforgettable experience of attending ESL 1 Cologne, the Counter-Strike Global Offensive Tournament hosted in Germany all the way back in 2016, as a then uninitiated esports observer. And when I went, it was just like, a, holy moly, what's going on here? Like, this is completely passed by my radar. And it's a phenomenon. And it has so many of the traits that fans of sport, traditional sport, will be familiar with, whether it's the arenas, the fans, the competition, the professionalism, the productions, the prize money, the sponsors, the broadcasters. So there's a lot of stuff that feels familiar. It's just the actual core product that might seem alien. But it's still, it's still based on a really simple idea, which is people love to do activity X, then they often want to know what is the best person at X? How good are they? What can they do? And how do they compete to prove that they're the best? It's the same as football, same as golf, so same as Formula One, and it's the same construct. What can you do? Follow it. It's like a race car. It comes right around the corner, and another headshot. SK Gaming, second major championship in a row. They are your winners. Alexander there described esports as a phenomenon, and one has to wonder how it got there. The first video gaming competition, hosted at Stanford University and involving the game Space War, was hosted way back in 1972. 
But it's only in the last decade or so that many of us have really started taking notice, which roughly lines up with the rise of a particular interactive live streaming service. We'll discuss that specific service more in a moment, but Christina Skogvard from eSports data and technology provider ABIOS outlines exactly how live streaming has aided in the professionalization of eSports. Live streaming has been the predominant way in which people have been able to watch and interact with eSports really. So eSports is obviously a very international phenomenon uh, which connects players and viewers from all over the world. Most large-scale tournaments are played in person, but even today, I mean, the majority of viewership really comes from streaming. So it has allowed tournament organizers to reach a large audience from all over the world in a very short period of time. So while the first years of esports, you could say that it would be between the 2000s or 2010s. And so in the beginning, esports was very fragmented with like small scale tournaments that were bootstrapped through people who had large passion and love for gaming. But the tournaments were really rudimentary and not perhaps um, as big as we see them today. So uh, with the international reach of the internet and streaming platforms in general, uh, the viewership of esports really started to grow. And, you know, as more people started to watch esports and the price pools kept getting larger, advertising money really started to flow into the scene. So it allowed tournament organizers such as ESL, Riot Games and Blast to build out amazing tournaments with uh, high production quality. They were able to hire professional casters and create entire sets on some of the largest arenas in the world. And all of this was really made possible through live streaming. And one of the reasons for this is that because in opposition to traditional sports, where the sort of monetization structure is like some sort of pay-per-view cable network subscription. Esports game tournaments are predominantly viewed for free on streaming platforms. So uh, this has allowed it to grow really fast as the barrier to entry has been very low. But there are so many questions that people have about Twitch. Yes, it was originally built for gamers. We're not gamers. so many people have been doing things outside of the gaming world. So even if you haven't picked up a a video game since old school Nintendo and Duck Hunt, there is something for you on Twitch. The largest platform specifically for live streaming, particularly in the gaming industry, is Twitch. Twitch's origins are Justin.tv, which was founded in 2007 and enabled anyone to broadcast live on the internet. Users could post about pretty much any of their interest, but the gaming category proved to be by far the fastest growing. So in 2011, the company launched their spin-off, Twitch.tv, which quickly began to eclipse its parent company. And in August 2014, Justin TV ceased operations. That same month, it was announced that Amazon had acquired Twitch for just under a billion US dollars. Twitch is largely associated with gaming, but has also launched categories in music, creative works, and of course, sport. They've worked with the NFL, Impact Wrestling, the Premier Hockey Federation, and the National Women's Soccer League, among various other sport entities. Twitch has become so mainstream that recognizable public figures across all industries have been live streaming their gameplay, including rapper Snoop Dogg, 
Okay, okay, turn around. Let me see what you're working with. DJ Steve Aoki. I break this joystick, I'm getting too into it. Rapper, singer, Doja Cat. I stopped playing Fortnite just because I'm, I'm so incredibly um, talented and good at it. And even politician Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I am so nervous though. I really, really, really hope that I don't get imposter first. The popularity of the live streaming website understandably peaked during the COVID-19 pandemic as people turned to their screens for entertainment due to their inability to go outdoors. In total, the Twitch community watched over 1.3 trillion minutes in 2021. While viewership has dipped somewhat since its pandemic peak, Twitch currently has 140 million monthly active users and counts an average of 2.45 million for the number of simultaneous views at any given moment. In short, Twitch has really changed the game pun absolutely intended. But how exactly? How has the rise of live streaming changed how games are made, played and shared? Grant Taylor Hill, a gaming and esports journalist who has written for GameRant, Insider Gaming and Esports.net among others, illustrates some of the ways. From what I was growing up with, this is it's a whole different world now. You know, you've got um, every game that comes out, it seems multiplayer is king. For a, a while, Battle Royales absolutely took over Twitch and suddenly every developer was trying to ride the wave just based off of that popularity in social circles and streaming circles. And now it's like people are trusting the, the word of a streamer more than they will like a traditional gaming publication. There's basically a streaming market for every game. Um, if someone's missing out on a game at launch or if they're on the fence, they're going to watch someone stream it to try and make their mind up. And now I think developers are leaning more on streamers to popularize and publicize their game more than anything else. I've spoken to so many developers where they say they're putting influencer campaigns ahead of traditional marketing campaigns just because they know that that's how the word gets out there. There are hundreds of thousands of people, their first thought when a big game is coming out, they think, right, how can I make content off of this? You know, it used to be about making the game, playing the game, getting immersed, seeing it through to the end. But now it's about using games to sort of like score viewers, clicks, impressions, and followers. And I kind of see that as how content creation and streaming has kind of changed the gaming paradigm. And it's why live service games are now so popular too as well. There's always another update, another season, something else to bring the streamers back, the players back, and the money back. And some games have been developed with streaming integrations in mind too. So they'll have features that link up directly with Twitch chats. Um, for example, I think we had a couple of games recently where Twitch viewers could make decisions based on you know what action the streamer should make and there's in-game collaborations all the time featuring streamers as well recently we've seen skins you know fortnite call of duty streamers are being put in the games it's just been a crazy takeover bro look at that it looks just like me oh my god when asked how the gaming industry has evolved due to live streaming, Christina from ABIOS once again points to how live streaming has boosted the profile of esports and outlines a unique way in which live streaming services are engaging fans of streamers in esports tournaments. Like streaming platforms such as Twitch are really the main mediums where people have been able to watch big esports events. So I think that big titles could really attribute some of their success to streaming and I mean, uh, this is not only true for large-scale esports titles, but it's also true for smaller games such as Among Us, because it started out as a small, sort of mafia-esque independent game, but was quickly popularized by a streamer called Soda Popping, and now it has millions of players and has really become ingrained in our pop culture. 
one trend that we are seeing right now in streaming, which I think is uh, incredibly interesting and very unique, is uh, the subject of co-streaming, which is essentially streamers broadcasting official tournaments in esports. And uh, what they do is that they react to what happens in the game, they react to what casters say, and it essentially creates the experience for the viewer that they are watching a game together with their favorite streamer. And you know, the favorite streamer could be an esports professional and that sort of viewer looks up to. So that would be like, imagine being able to watch a football game with uh, Ronaldo sort of uh, commenting and providing commentary and analysis on the side like that that is pretty unparalleled and I think that that is not something that we are really seen before. With streamers and platforms finding ways to innovate and engage with their audience, streamers and professional gamers are more influential than ever. But how do they compare to a traditional athlete as far as influence and earning potential? I've actually had some really lengthy discussions about this topic in the last few weeks. I sat down actually with one of the highest ranked tennis players in the world and a development coach for a world championship grade Call of Duty uh, team. And we kind of drilled into this very topic and they kind of said the same thing. So if not physically, then mentally... An esports athlete, which is what I kind of learned to call them, is is an athlete in the traditional sense. So modern esports players and you know professional gamers, they're training for long hours. They might be in the gym building their team culture. They're looking after their bodies. There's dietitians, psychiatrists, coaches. There's so much that goes on behind the door. So you know, I'm not saying that these these top esports athletes are going to rival like a Messi or a Ronaldo or a Federer or a Hamilton. But they're really influential in their own niche in gaming and esports. So if we look at some collaborations in the last couple of years, so um, massive player in Valorant called Tenzi, um, he pushed out a mouse collaboration that, that notched up $7.5 million in sales in a single day. You've got banks, car manufacturers, jewelers, restaurant chains. They're all partnering with esports athletes and organizations because they know they can reach an already influenced audience. If Dr. Disrespect reps Rocket, their peripherals are going to go out of stock. They have all these partnerships for limited edition limited edition accessories. If Shroud partners with Logitech and releases his mouse, thousands of CSGO and Valorant players are going to want it, thinking that they're going to become the next Shroud because they've got his equipment. If FaZe Clan's players promote a new flavor of, of ghost energy, then it's going to sell out. They're all influential. It's the whole spectrum. And to put a number on it, it's been estimated that 54% of all revenue in the esports industry is made up of these sponsorships. So even when the professional careers are over, these athletes, these gaming professionals, they can still go on and make a killing through sponsorships, affiliate deals. Um, you know, they become streamers and they've got the Twitch sub side of things as well. So in terms of that, the influential and the earnings, they're, they're coming on par with some of the big traditional athletes. So with $7.4 million in prize winnings, what does a gaming-obsessed champion buy? A 17-bedroom gaming complex in Portugal is a good start. At this stage, we've covered the history of Twitch and live streaming more broadly, and how it has impacted the gaming and esports industry. And so far, we've focused on growth. But there are pros and cons to everything. So what are some of the downsides of using these kinds of platforms? 
Why is it important to maximize your reach on other platforms? And is the current popularity of streaming even sustainable? We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome back to Force Material, where we're gearing up for an in-depth examination of live streaming's impact on the gaming scene. Before the break, we discussed how professional gamers are comparable to more traditional athletes and how live streaming has helped to catalyze this development. We also asked gaming and esports journalist Grant Taylor Hill to go in depth on the pros and cons of Twitch and other live streaming platforms. Um, in the last few years, Twitch has made some you know, what we might call controversial decisions in terms, you know, in, in terms of how it's operating, but there are several things that kind of offset against that. So one, it's arguably the home of esports tournaments, which is a, which is a massive pro. It has a, a fantastic infrastructure that rarely suffers from any performance issues. You can make a living on Twitch. It's hard, but you can. People are making millions of dollars on Twitch um, very publicly. And now that there's much more competition, Twitch has kind of been evolving a lot more in the last couple of years. I mean, a pro, it's a creative outlet for millions of people, first and foremost. It's free to use. Um, it allows creators to get on it and build their brand, showcase their gameplay, and it's great connectivity. So you can build a community and meet, you know, fantastic people from all around the world, which is great. But the negative side of that is that it is, admittedly, it's oversaturated. You know, there are millions and millions of creators bursting at the seams off the platform. They're all kind of doing the same thing in the same way a lot of the times, which can be a big problem for anyone trying to get on and, and you know, work into their niche or whatever. There's always so much competition. Um, and in the last few years, it's been a bit rough. We've had controversies surrounding the payment split thing. Um, there've been pandemics of bot raids where you've had people channeling hundreds of bots to go and storm into someone's stream and just spam hate messages against them. And there has been kind of an exodus. Lots of big name streamers have come off of the platform to go to you know competing sites. So it's seen a lot of struggles. And that kind of segues into the other platforms too. So YouTube, for example, that's probably Twitch's biggest rival. Um, their live streaming solution actually does go back as far as Twitch's, but it's just never really been that well documented, that well known, but it's getting better all the time. And that's why so many big creators have gone over there. Um, there are really good integrations with long and short form content. So if you're gonna diversify, you can have your videos up there as well as your VODs and your streams. The monetization side of things is better, discoverability is better, but it's just not the, the name, you know, it's still struggling to compete with Twitch. But then there's the new kid, you know, Kick, which everyone's talking about right now. Kick.com is like the scandalous new kid on the playground. I think there was a stat that went out recently that said it just went over 100 million watch hours across the platform. And obviously there are some huge names getting on board. Amaranth, XQC, some huge, huge names getting on there because of their $100 million contracts that they're being offered. So I'm of the opinion that if the money dried up tomorrow, Kick would probably implode and collapse it on itself. But for now, it's, it's looking like a real strong competitor to, to Twitch. And there is one big con that is not by any means exclusive to Twitch. While many have celebrated Twitch's introduction of tags for the LGBTQ community and other minorities in an attempt to counteract cyberbullying, the frequent toxicity of internet culture is not easy to quell, 
as Stephanie Ajoma, founder and CEO of Naysaga, explains. Um, discoverability can have a pro and con effect because you're first and foremost discovering people that look like you, that share the same experiences as you, can relate to you. You're growing an audience because you want to make sure that the audience you do have is of course diverse, but is also inclusive and also reflects who you are as a person. But at the same time, the cons, it, it brings trolls, it brings racists, it brings, you know, a lot of uh, bigotry, it brings a lot of homophobia because what you may have tagged now calls people who don't like you, you know, and it shouldn't have to be like that. But unfortunately, this is the problem with in gaming. Gaming is supposed to be for everyone, but there's this entitlement that it should only be for one audience or one demographic. So while Twitch is the most popular platform, it certainly is not without its limitations. And that's one of the many reasons it's crucial for gaming professionals to maximize their reach across as many platforms as possible. Or you could say, create multiple streams of income. You know, one thing about esports is it's great, but it's very, there's no longevity to it. And it may be very controversial to say, but it's just like, esports is just like football. It's just like basketball. It's just like tennis or rugby. You can't do it forever. That's why it's important to build now and build outside of your profession, your professional um, status in gaming before going to, into the next chapter. Don't get me wrong. It's great to just do it. You know, at the end of the day, do it, do it for the love of it. And you should never, ever forget that. But it, there's going to come a time when bills need to get paid. There's going to come a time where you need to be able to build that longevity, build that platform grow as well you can't be on twitch forever you know this is why it's the it's important to diversify your content you can't have one platform to rely on there's going to be periods just like any business that things will go cold things will be very quiet brands are you know they won't have the budget like they did in january they'll go through their own financial issues or they sometimes they have to cut things you have to find other routes of how to sustain yourself and building a holistic approach to in you know to the gaming industry need to also make sure that you are diverse with other things outside of just creating content. What can you do or what kind of skills can you do? You know, I think being a gaming influencer, you know, they underestimate the skills that you do have. You're effectively doing community management. You're effectively project managing your own live streams or your own YouTube videos. You're essentially script writing. You're doing stuff great on Photoshop or Premiere Pro, your video editor, utilizing those skills outside of what you do can really help enable that longevity. The difficult part about streaming a lot of times is the stuff you do outside the stream. The like keeping up with socials, making sure you're on top of all your other like bull yeah. That's like the hard part. If you're streaming eight hours a day and then going to do YouTube, TikTok, bunch of socials. It seems like you guys are like constantly on the grind. Now it's time for the big question. Is the popularity of streaming sustainable? We'll start with Alexander Inglot, commissioner of the ESL Pro League. Let's start with viewership. Um, look, I think streaming remains the preeminent home for esports and gaming content, and that may well continue for a while from my point of view. I don't expect platforms like Twitch or YouTube gaming or now kind of more like more upstart brands like Kick uh, to stop innovating and testing new ways to deepen the engagement of their audiences. But I think I would be remiss not to mention kind of seismic advances such as AR, VR, in metaverse viewing. Those may generate shifts and I would expect those, the incumbents, for want of a better phrase that I just mentioned, to try and monitor and adapt to those. I think what really that it shows is, is that esports and gaming and the fans, they tend to be at the vanguard 
due to the fact that they are young, young and tech-savvy in nature. And so I would expect the, the viewing experience and expectations will also be at the head of the curve when it comes to content and content consumption. And now a perspective from Christina Skogvard from eSports data company ABIOS. What I can say for streaming platforms such as Twitch, uh, they always need to keep innovating to keep their streamers, uh, which will in turn keep their audiences happy because the audiences can very well go where their favorite streamers go. And I mean, they also have competitors in other large scale platforms such as YouTube Gaming and TikTok, which I, and both of them have shown that they're very ready to innovate and compete um, platform-wise. So uh, yeah, it's very important to innovate. And I mean, as far as the activity of streaming itself goes, when it comes to advertising, I think streaming can provide a unique level of engagement if a person watch a streamer for like hours on end, uh, some, several days a week, they might be more likely to be interested in the product if a streamer recommends it versus if a, a regular influencer on Instagram would recommend the same products. So influencer marketing won't just be who has the biggest reach, but who are your passionate customers and how are these customers advocating for your brand in a way that helps you tell your story more effectively. And last, but certainly not least, Grant Taylor-Hill, deftly illustrating his views with some stats. Since, I think since COVID, since the COVID-19 pandemic kind of, I don't want to say moved on because, you know, it's an ever-present thing these days, but since the, the bulk of it kind of moved on, we have seen a real global downtrend in viewership. So during COVID, there was a massive boom. Streaming, streamers, everyone was getting online. Everyone was trying to find a secondary source of revenue. Everyone had so much more free time on their hands now that these platforms just absolutely exploded. And then following that, it all kind of drifted away a bit. So between the start of 2021 and 2022, there was a drop of about 8% in viewership on Twitch, which is quite a substantial number. I think it was billions of watch hours. But with that being said, I think future-wise, it's still there where it counts. Um, you know, I've spoken about esports kind of having its home on Twitch, and I pulled a couple of numbers out the back of that. So um, so from this year alone, we had the League of Legends mid-season invitational that had a peak in current viewership of 2.2 million users. Uh, the recent Valorant Champions Tour, 1.2 million. The CSGO Paris Major hit 1.5 million. The numbers are falling compared to some recent years, but it's still really strong. Those numbers are crazy. And I'm of the opinion it's sustainable as long as there are fans there to sustain it. Where there are fans, there will always be streaming. And while watching tournaments live in the arena has an unparalleled appeal, the fan-friendly features make Twitch the next best thing. I would always be an advocate for the in-person experience. I still think it's the best way to experience Tier 1 esports. Uh, I don't think there's any substitute for going into a stadium, feeling that atmosphere, feeling the passion of the fans, having that high-spec light and sound experience. It, you know, you can't replicate the Cathedral of Counter-Strike in Cologne just the same as it's almost impossible to replicate Madison Square Gardens during basketball games or San Siro in Milan.
What Twitch does is it provides a, a known and loved destination for gamers and esports fans. So it it's theirs. They kind of uh, are very esports fans and gamers are very uh, tribalist, um, and they really feel like that they created this, that they molded it, and so they're very protective around what they built and what they supported from the start. And so, and that's exactly where Twitch was. Twitch was there at the start, and they molded. They were molded by the community and the community's preferences. So. As I mentioned before, you've got those social media integrations. You've got the chats. You've got the ability to add memes and emoticons. You've got the community streamers. You put all of that together on the Twitch platform, it's just a completely immersive experience for fans of this esports or that esports. Also, I guess it's probably worth mentioning, it's difficult to overlook the fact that it's ultimately free and super easy to access with a computer and an internet connection. And so I think ultimately in terms of those platforms, for those in the know, it's the next best place to actually sing in the arena. I think it's great to just see that you can now watch games from the comfort of your own home. It's like watching something on Netflix. Um, and it's just great to just, it's just it's like tuning into TV, you know, build it. It's like basically, you know, working on a network or a TV show and you're just seeing different things going on every day. You have your favorite streamer that's live maybe Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. You have a, a game that you're very invested in that you can tune in on Sundays for the league or you can have things that you are creating. And there are even opportunities in gaming and esports to be found for traditional broadcasters. I think the comfort of traditional media, its familiarity, its tone, its structures, all of those things, they can really be the, the bridge between an unknown product such as esports and a comfortable setting. Uh, and a comfortable format that more traditional broadcast users uh, are familiar with. So I think ultimately, from my point of view, esports is a really good way for traditional broadcasters to understand the new demographics and their preferences and how they like to consume and interact with their content. I think actually that's probably one of the reasons why EFG is working so tirelessly to familiarize broadcasters, national and regional, about the opportunity, but also about the do's and don'ts, right? To optimize the chances to succeed and to get that buy-in from the passionate and that growing, sizable fan base. For many, gaming feels like something of its own niche, with its own slang and its own subculture. But thanks to live streaming, it's more mainstream than ever. While it will always be a fan-driven industry, the growth of it due to live streaming platforms has provided valuable opportunities to grow that fan base and to raise awareness of the legitimacy of gaming and esports as a career path. Having the, the growth of esports on these platforms is so valuable because there are still so many people out there, gamers or otherwise, that don't understand esports. And I think as it appeals to sort of like younger audiences that are pouring into these platforms, we've got to target a whole new generation of gamers coming up. And as competitive gaming becomes like the de facto core of gaming, I think it's just going to be, it's going to be a like for like growth. There's so many people that don't understand. It might sound a bit harsh, but they don't get esports. People think it's just playing games for money, but it's not. It's a legitimate career path now, which is, you know, something so valuable. While live streaming did see a boom during the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic, there are plenty of signs to suggest that gaming and esports can still grow to reach their full potential. With a fan base that's passionate, engaged, and receptive to technological innovations, the next generation of gamers will always find ways to play with the world. You've been listening to Force Material, the podcast telling the stories where sport meets lifestyle, entertainment, and culture. Thank you so much to our guests for this episode, Alexander Inglot, Stephanie Ajoma, Grant Taylor-Hill, and Christina Skogvard, and please join us next time as we explore another story.